back everyone this week's episode is probably going to hurt my pocketbook a little bit kayla got the opportunity to talk with troy flayhardy troy is known throughout the industry for his balanced and high quality bits that horses have won millions in we all know that barrel racers love bits and wanted to talk to the man who makes them from scratch lots of learning in this one this week's episode is brought to you by kl barrel horses kl barrel horses is proud to represent two upcoming sires kl limitless and taken on shawnee kl limitless is an own son of stoli out of an own daughter of on a high and already has money earning offspring in the fraternity arena roping pin and in mounted shooting taken on shawnee is an own son of shawnee bug and his foals have won everywhere from fraternities the junior high rodeos and the pro rodeo ranks these stallions sire horses that can win in the speed events take a long day on the ranch yet are quiet enough that kids can ride them all offspring are eligible for the k l incentive where we match what you win any discipline any state up to five thousand dollars K&L Barrel Horses put money back in the pockets of the owners and breeders who breed to KL Limitless and Taken on Shawnee. Find them on Facebook at K&L Barrel Horses or visit their website at www.knlbarrelhorses.com. All right, Troy, teach us what you know. Kayla, take it away. This is Money Room. Super excited today. We are getting the chance to talk to Troy Flayhardy about his bits in all thing bits. And we know barrel racers love bits. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to talk with me today. You bet. No problem. So to kind of go into it before we go into all the questions I have about bits, um, I'll I'll start with saying, you know, I'm a barrel racer and I like to buy bits, but I would be lying if I could actually adequately explain how they work all the time. Um, So that's kind of what I want to dig into. But how did you start going down the path of, you know, being one of the the best bit makers in the business? Well, um, when I was in college, uh, I went to Fort Scott Community College and there was a guy that made bits that came through there and he did a two-day like just on a weekend a little fundamental of bit making class and i i took that little class and man i just knew i just i really enjoyed it and uh i never thought it would lead to what it has but so it's been 30 years since i made my first bit and uh like my family we're all horse trainers. They grew, they, uh, train reining horses. And, and so I, you know, we rode a lot of horses every day and, and learning to make them, it just kind of all fit together, I guess. That's, I mean, I just can't, I, I look at the bits and they just look, you know, they look so professionally done and well-made. It's crazy to think that they start off as just, you know, pieces of metal and that you do that by, in, by hand in your shop by yourself, right? Do you have anybody else or is it just you? I have a, I have a part-time helper that started this summer. Um, that's, he's been helping me part-time. So, uh, but yeah, it's pretty much been... By myself, I've had some help off and on, part-time guys, but, um, you know, it's just pretty much me. Do you have any idea how many bits you've probably made over the years? No idea. <laughs> no idea at all. <laughs> no, I, I mean, there's just, 
I might make 200 bits a month, you know, yeah. when I'm real busy. And, and I don't know, like I say, for the last 30 years, I mean, I haven't done it full time for 30 years, but I, I don't have a clue how many I've made, to be honest with you. So tell us a little bit about like the bit making process. I mean, honestly, I don't, again, I don't know much. So like what materials kind of go into it and about how long does it take to make you know, one of your standard bits? So I guess if we're just talking about barrel racing bits, um, it starts out, I use, uh, it's called 1018 cold rolled steel. And it's a real high, it's a good quality steel uh, for all practical purposes. And, uh, you know, it's hard for me to say how long it takes from start to finish because I'll, I'll make up a huge pile of parts and then just assemble as needed, you know, whatever somebody has ordered. But like, if I had to just stop from scratch and build, say, a ring snaffle and polish it and finish it all off by hand, it would probably take me two or three hours, probably. Okay. You know, like a gag bit would take a little bit longer, a gag type bit, three hours, three and a half. And that's just, you know, starting with absolutely nothing have to build every single part where like i say i have a, a bin or bins full of parts that i've already made so i can do it a little quicker you know what i mean when i get a when i get a certain order i can just go to the bin and pull the parts that i need and assemble it go from there yeah, because you're, I mean, barrel racers are able to call you and say, you know, hey, I want this shank on this mouthpiece, you know, medium, long, short, and you're just able to kind of custom make whatever they request, generally, correct? Yeah, and uh, my daughter, she's been working for me now part-time, and she's taking care of all my social media stuff, and she's actually building a website. And she had a, a great idea. We're going to have a page on there. She calls it BYOB, uh, build your own bit. So we're just going to have all the options. You know, we're going to number all the mouthpieces, have pictures of all the different cheeks. And you can just go through there and, and BYOB, build your own bit. That would be really cool. Not for my bank account, but <laughs> the option because yeah. I love I love when you post pictures of you know all your different options and everything like that it's just so cool to see what you can build really yeah and I, I never I never really had a menu type deal because I didn't want people to think they were limited but to just what's on the menu you know I want them to be able to call me up and say hey I want to I want to try this or try that and you know, I, I think it's good to be innovative and and willing to do, um, like, I don't want to copy somebody else's work, but if somebody has an idea, I'm all about listening to it, you know, and, and see what we can come up with and, and try and make a better bit. Well, I think I saw, I, I don't remember if it was Lacey or Hallie or, or one of the girls shared, and it was a snaffle, and one side was a square mouth, and then the other side was just like a regular, you know, twist or a regular just smooth snaffle. And I thought that was really unique because then, you know, depending on the horse and the side of the mouth, you could swap the bit and, you know, use it right. however you needed. And that's not something you just see in a store. Right. I call it my half and half. Um, like I think, I think usually I make it. Well, I do whatever, but usually I make one side smooth and one side like a square twist or a twisted wire. And like I say, if you, you know, everybody's had that horse that's real soft one side, but might be a little stiff on the other. 
And so, you know, you can swap that bit around or a horse that maybe has got their corner sore or one, one corner sore, you know, accidentally or something happened, you can, you can stay off that, the sore side and uh, put the smooth on there. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I just, I think that's just really cool possibilities that you can come up with. Can you tell us a little bit about like your preference and like the weights of your bit or, um, you know, kind of walk us through, I know you can create anything, but you have a pretty specific line of bits, you know, your Bettys, your Dukes, your Snaffles. And one of my favorite things about them is that they're just heavier. So I feel like, you know, you can kind of get a quicker response a little bit. And I don't know if that's necessarily the point behind them but you can just tell they're really that high quality bit and I'm assuming you have a method to your madness as far as you know how you create those things yeah and like I um so a little background you know I've trained horses rodeoed and you know I think I I started making the bits that worked for me that I like the feel of And it's kind of evolved into more than that now. But for a long time, I just made what felt good to me. And I like, especially a snaffle, I've started a lot of cold. And I like a snaffle that has some weight to it. I'm not talking about those two-pounders or whatever. I don't don't like those. But, like, uh, my snaffles, like, I feel like they have a nice weight where I I can feel when I pick the reins up. I can feel the the weight of the snaffle engage. And then more than anything, you know, a horse learns by the release of pressure. So I want that bit to have enough weight that it releases quickly. So to a point, the heavier they are, the faster they release. And that's just what I, I prefer myself. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, those bits are too heavy for my hand. And that may be, but I just, I kind of make what feels good to me, actually. Well, hey, it it clearly works for a lot of other people too, because um, I I mean I I that's just one of been one of my favorite things about them. And then I don't know exactly what it's called, but I just bought one of them last fall, I think, from Bo, and it was weighted even more at the bottom. I think it was one of your Bettys. Yeah, the fat Betty. The fat Betty. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I love that concept to really try to get as fast as release as possible, especially for you know somebody that might not have the most impeccable timing, um, like myself. You know, I'm going to try to hedge my bets whenever I can. Right, and well, my idea behind the first one I made that way was my little Betty cheek, and you know, I think people that want a short leverage bit like the little Betty, they're giving up a lot of the weight because of course there's less material there. So, um, it's not going to release as fast. So that's why I started making the little fat Betty. So you would, you could, uh, not sacrifice weight for shorter leverage. If that makes sense. You know, that makes perfect sense. And honestly, something that I probably wouldn't have thought about, you know, a lot of these fraternity Colts are run in, you know, some shorter shank bits. Um, but that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense that you still want that same reaction and you can't right. really get it if you take all their shank away. Right. And now I make, like, I make all of my bits in the, I call it the fat series. You know, you got the little fat Betty, the regular fat Betty, the big fat Betty, and, you know, the fat Duke, the regular Duke. So they're all available 
with the heavier material. And, and all I do is just use, instead of using a 5 rod, I use a 3 rod. And then the head stall and rain loops are made out of heavier material as well. So it just adds more weight, you know, for, for any of them that you feel like you want more weight, I can, I'll do it in any design. Okay, that makes sense. Walk us through a little bit, and I, I don't even know if I know the right way to ask it, but like, you know, I feel like your shank design and angle designs are like pretty specific, or they're like, you know, if I see a fl flay hardy bit, I can recognize it right away based on, you know, the angle of the shank. So how did you kind of come up with the Betty series? I just feel like they're very balanced. There's not, you know, a lot of like drastic to them, but they're just like a very good like all around type of bit. Right. And that's kind of why I designed the Betty that way to fit a lot of people and a lot of hands. There's certain ratios and bit making that you don't want to stray too far from as far as the, the ratio from the purchase to the length of the cheek. Um, there's certain ratios that are just proven that work. And uh, that's I tried to just stay inside those parameters and the sweep of the cheek, you know, the nice gentle curve, it looks good and it feels good and it reacts, it reacts well. And it just, it just fits a lot of different hands and a lot of different horses. It's just a kind of an average, I call it an average bit as far as it's a place to start. You know, like if you get a new horse or a new rider, let's try the Betty and then we can, we can adjust from there. We might need a, a Duke. We might need something that reacts a little quicker or we might need little more leverage and have to go with a big Betty or, or vice versa. But it's just a nice average to kind of start from a nice place to start, I guess. Okay. I'd say it. Yeah. And just, you know, just to clarify in case we have some listeners that don't know, or to make sure that I know what I'm talking about, the purchase is from the bit to the top of the bit, right? And then you're saying the cheek is the part from the bit to the bottom of it. Like when you're looking at the shank. Yeah, I would call, I would say uh, a good way of putting it is the leverage or the, I'm sorry, the purchase is a distance from your head stall to your mouthpiece. That's the purchase. And then the, the cheek length, the cheek is the whole, the overall length. Okay. And then the, you know, the bottom of the cheek is from your mouthpiece to your rein. And you can really tweak that a lot. You can tweak the feel a lot by adjusting that that purchase, you know, a, a gag bit, you know, there's a lot of movement there. So it doesn't, it takes a big difference to make a difference. You know, you got to move it a lot to make a difference. Like a bridle bit, like a California style bridle bit, where there's not a lot of movement, you can only move that a little bit either direction and you get a big, a big response or a big change. Um, a gag bit, you know, you're going to change it, but it's going to be a little not quite as sudden or severe with the way the cheek or the mouthpiece moves on the cheek. Does that make sense? Yeah, just because obviously the gag bit moves, so there's a little bit of delay versus, you know, one of those bits that's kind of more locked on. And, you know, when you ask for right. something, you're going to get it. So is it is it a quicker response, say, like the, for the mouthpiece, like further up closer to the top of where the headstall is basically, so like a shorter purchase? Yeah, shorter purchase will increase your leverage, um, which means, say, like like my Betty cheek is like a one to two ratio, meaning um, 
there's a there's one times the difference from the top as there is to the bottom. Like it, it's it's twice as long. Okay. It's about it's about there. So if I pull two pounds at the bottom, I'll get four pounds at the top at the mouthpiece. Does that make sense? Yes. Yep. Makes sense. So it's just it's just math. It's just ratio. So and it will speed up. Like you don't have to move the reins as far for the bit to engage if the purchase is shorter. Gotcha. Okay. And and the way like I I, I made my Duke before the Betty and the Duke is real straight. It happens real fast and. The Duke and the Betty are the exact same um, ratio. Everything's the same except the Betty just sweeps back a little more. So that that's a little more forgiving. It slows it down a little bit and it doesn't happen as sudden. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and I, I have both of them and I mean, obviously you can really feel that the Duke, when you ask for it, you're asking right then. Right. Verse, you know, more of more of like the Betty feel. And then my like my traditional cheek, my traditional gag is the exact same cheek as the Betty. But I mount the mouthpiece onto the cheek instead of in front of the cheek, like the Betty and the Duke is mounted to the front. Okay. So be having that mouthpiece mounted on the cheek directly, it really speeds it up. Like it's, it's almost direct, like, and that, that will gag a little bit, but not very much. So there's a little give there, but so it would be even more, it'd be even quicker than a Duke. Okay. I don't know if I've seen one of those. Yeah. It's exact same. It's exact same cheek as a Betty, but it just mounts right like the Marnie. I don't know if you've seen my bit. I call the Marnie. Yep. Yep. I just saw that one. Yeah. It's mounted right on the cheek instead of in front. Okay, so like that one's even, you know, even faster. You better know what you're asking for type of thing. Right. Not much signal there. I've always wondered, and I, I'm not quite sure, you mount yours, like when you mount them to the front of the cheek, what's the difference between mounting them to the front versus, you know, the bits that have that little gag area on the back of the cheek? Does that play a big difference, or why do you decide to mount them on the front? Yeah, it makes a huge difference, that, and that's the what the difference between the Marnie and the, the Betty. Okay, the Marnie's right on there, so it's a lot faster reaction and doesn't have that mouthpiece is not going to move very far at all. There's not much travel in that gag. Where if you look at the Betty, it has a lot of root, it has a lot of gag action to it. Okay. I, st I started making another bit. I don't know if you've seen it. I've only made a handful of them. Uh, I just made one for Kelsey Trehorn. But it's got, it's a Betty cheek, but it has a long gag. And it, it gags like, I want to say almost two inches, as opposed to the Betty only gags maybe an inch. Yeah, I just saw that. I just pulled up the Marnie. I'm I'm on my computer too, uh, and we'll post pictures of this for our listeners. But I can I can totally see now what you're talking about about having you know the more instant reaction with the Marnie because how it's attached versus you know how the Betty is attached. That's very interesting. I honestly don't even know if I would have recognized that. Yeah, a lot of people don't 
don't realize it's mounted differently, but uh, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I would have been. Usually you post a new bit and I'm just like, oh, got to try it. <laughs> he, he posted something Perfect. new. Perfect. Well, all right. So then, you know, so that's kind of, and I'm, I'm sure we could talk about Cheeks and purchases and everything forever because that plays such a big portion of how the bit actually works. But when it comes to mouthpieces, I mean, how did you come up with your mouthpieces? And like when people ask for a two-piece versus a three-piece versus a mullen, will you kind of just walk us through, I guess, your most basic set of mouthpieces? Okay, so um, typically, and one thing I've learned about horse business is never say never and never say always. But typically, the more breaks you have in a mouthpiece, the more left and right lateral bend you'll get, um, typically. So, and a lot of people are don't like a two-piece because they say, well, it pokes them in the, the roof of the mouth. That, and that's true if you leave that mouth, those bars straight. But I really put a mullen or a curve to my two-piece mouthpieces. Mm -hmm. So it, it conforms to the, the horse's mouth better. And with a straight two-piece, it kind of just cranks on the bars of the mouth and, and the corners, where when you mull in that two-piece, it will give you some tongue pressure and just kind of distribute the pressure a little evenly. It's not it's not all in one spot. And like a mullen, you know, it's, it's a little stiffer. Like it, you know, uh, when people tell me their horse is too noodly or too bendy, you know, I'll typically have them try a mullen, you know, to kind of square them up a little bit more. But uh, that's, you know, bits have been around for a for thousands of years, and there really hasn't been a lot of change to the mouthpieces. You know, usually a two-piece, three-piece, or a one-piece. You know, that's typically, typically what works on most horses. So it hasn't really changed a lot. You know, I mean, there's been different materials used and, and some different designs, but a horse's mouth is a horse's mouth. They haven't changed much in 2000 years. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's true. I just, I've always liked yours. Cause like what your twists are a little bit different, I guess, compared to some other snaffles that I've had, you know, I feel like there's a little bit more substance to them. They're not, you know, so super tiny that they almost hurt them. Um, but then you also have like your, your square twist, not, you know, your, your tighter wrap twist. I don't know if that makes any sense, but, right, yeah. and so, you know, if somebody's wants, you know, why would you use say the square twist versus your regular twist versus like your rebar? Isn't that rebar in some of your snaffles too? Like, so it has a little bit yeah. of texture, but it's not necessarily a twist per se. Yeah, I, I really like the rebar, and the reason I like it is because it's a bigger diameter, mm -hmm. and so it has some more weight to it, but yet it has those little ridges, so you get a little feel with it. I'm not a fan of little tiny twisted wires at all, and the reason being is they don't have any weight or feel or substance to them. That's why I don't like them. But like a square twist will have a lot of feel, but it's a heavier it gives you a feel of a small twisted wire, but you're not giving up the weight of a small twisted wire. Okay. And it, to me, a lot of it's just 
the weight. I, I really like a bit that has some substance to it. And that's another reason, like the ball hinges I use, I mean, they look good. They don't pinch, but they have some weight to them. You know, there's there's some feel there. It adds weight. And all of that together adds up to like a snapple that has a lot of substance and weight and release to it. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes total sense. I'm, I'm looking at pictures right now, just seeing, you know, all the different types of options. When you put like a cricket or a roller on a mouthpiece, why would somebody buy that? And I guess what is the difference? Some friends and I have had discussions about like, what's a cricket? What's a roller? And honestly, I have no idea. So a roller just has a round hole through the middle of it and it just, it rolls. And a cricket has a, the way I make mine is I, this might not make sense, but I put a square hole through it and then I turn it 45 degrees and I put another square hole through it and that will make an eight-sided star instead of a round hole. And then I use, instead of using a round axle, I use a square axle and that will, it just clicks when they roll it instead of just rolls. Okay. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of different, you know, I see people say, well, it, it makes them, if they roll that, that means they're happy. And that's not true. I mean, I've seen plenty of mad horses roll a cricket, but the, the reason you have a roller or a cricket is to keep that tongue moving. And if their tongue's moving, that means their jaws loose and soft. And if their jaws soft, then their poles soft. And if their poles soft, their withers soft. So it, it, uh, and people say, well, it calms the nervous force. Well, I don't know if it really calms them, but it gives them, it, it, it keeps that tongue moving where their jaws not clenched and tight. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I was just thinking about one of my horses that I think would greatly benefit from that. So sorry, Craig, but we're probably buying bits from Troy after this. <laughs> we, we might need a couple. Um, no, that, that makes sense. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really think about that before. Do you adjust like based on the mouthpiece? Like, is there mouthpieces that you won't put on bits or are you just kind of like mixing matching for everything? Like everything can fit on one of your shanks, just depending on what somebody's looking for. Yeah. I feel like about any mouthpiece will work on a Betty cheek just because it's such a average cheek, you know, mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think, I don't know. I don't know what mouthpiece I would, you know, I'm always willing to try, but I don't, I think about any mouthpiece I make would work for about any, you know, I wouldn't put a a port on an O-ring or something. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I would, but I try and talk them out of it, but because it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But uh, yeah, I think they they all pretty much coincide and work well together, mix and match. Okay, and what? Well, I guess let's talk about ports. Like when people are looking to put a port on a bit or a barrel racing bit, you know, a lot of people think that they're, you know, roping bits or stuff like that. But I mean, I've seen a lot of successful barrel racers run their horses in ports. Um, I think Jordan Briggs had one you made, you know, that was one of her go-tos for a while. Um, you know, what do you recommend as far as ports go and when do you see them used the most? Well, I, I personally, I love a port and 
on a gag cheek. I think they have a, a I think they have a really good feel to them. The problem with the port is a lot of barrel racers. I hear this all the time. They say, "Well, a port makes my horses stiff." And I did a video on this not too long ago, and I I don't think the bit the port makes the horse stiff. I just don't think the horse is educated to pallet pressure, so they they don't really know to give to that pressure without some some training, you know, or pulling on them and letting them know the way it works. But I, I think a port works really well um, because it gets off those corners. You know, most barrel horses have been direct rein. You know, they've, they've been trained in an O-ring or they've been on the racetrack and they've had, you know, just pulled on the corners all the time. Well, not all horses are sensitive on their corners. Some of them are more sensitive to pallet pressure. Some are more sensitive to tongue pressure. Some are more sensitive to bar pressure. So as a trainer, you got to learn where your horse is sensitive and most efficient and use a bit that complements that. So, I mean, I think a, a lot of barrel racers would benefit from using ports or specifically a hinge port. Like, I really love a hinge port for about any performance horse discipline. I think they have a, a great steel to them. They make sense. You pull with one rein, you can get lateral flexion. You pull with both reins, you can get collection. Um, but you have to educate the horse's mouth to accept it and to give to it, if that makes any sense. No, it makes total sense. And I think I'm looking at a picture right now. Like your hinge port is basically your port, but it's on technically a, it would be like a three-piece break, right? Yeah, it breaks at the top of the port. Okay. It's kind of like a Billy Allen with a, that's ported. Okay. Makes sense. Yep. And we'll, we'll post pictures of them because I don't know if I've ever heard the term hinge port before. Yeah, it just hinges at the very top of the board. Okay. Yeah, I've always, I mean, I've just, I've, I've always wondered. You see a lot of, a lot of like really top good rodeo horses running in them and then you, you know, see some people shy away from them. And... Right. And I don't, I just think it's, you know, it's just educating the horse, you know. When you first put a snaffle in this horse in a horse's mouth as a two-year-old, they weren't educated to that. But you, you know, did the deal. You know, pulled around and pressure and release, and they got soft in it. Which you know, an O-ring's a direct rein bit, so it's easier to, to teach them to give in that. But um, you know, it's just I refer back to like cutting horse trainers. They will go from a snaffle to a little correction bit or hinge port bit that has a lot of sweep to it, but they'll ride it just like a snaffle bit, two-handed, pull around, and it doesn't take very long, and those horses are, are chasing their nose around, chasing that rein around in a little ported bit, and then they'll they'll graduate them to a maybe a high port, long shank, like a, you know, cut, like typically typical cutting style bit, but they'll do... They'll continue to train the same way. They'll put that big bridle on there and they'll pull around there two-handed. And those horses will chase the rein and chase their nose around in a big old bridle like that. And I really think if barrel horses would, barrel horse trainers would take the same steps, they would achieve the same result. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes so much sense. And sometimes, you know, if you look at a bit, you think about it one way and then unless you really talk to the person making the bit you don't even realize you know what else you could do with it um because it is hard you know a lot of people don't get to ride 
a hundred different horses a year and, you know, get to test all these different things out. But it's nice to get some background behind it. So then it's like, you know, my horse is doing this. I think I'm going to specifically look for this type of, you know, bit to help me out. Right, right. And, it, you know, it's a case-by-case basis, too. I mean, there's some horses that are naturally bendy and have a round style. And, you know, a, a fork might benefit them a little bit to collect them up and get get squared up. Where, you know, a horse that's naturally stiff or, or and not, doesn't want to bend, you know, you probably wouldn't want to compliment you. A, a mullen probably wouldn't compliment them. So it's just that's part of being a horse trainer is knowing knowing what what horse or what bit works with what what type of horse and where your horse is sensitive and most responsive in the mouth, and then using a bit that complements that makes total sense. Speaking of, like, where the bit works best in their mouth, what is, like, your ideal bit placement? Um, Because, you know, I've seen some people that are, like, you know, they want them a little bit lower in their mouth. And then some other girls are like, no, you know, ride them up high because then you have that more direct response. And I know it probably varies on the horse as well. But, you know, generally when people are fitting bits, where, where do you make yours to be placed? I, for me, and it, um, this is my preference, so it is what it is. Yeah. I, I like my mouthpiece to just touch the corners. I don't want, I mean, maybe a, maybe a wrinkle, a half a wrinkle, but, and my theory is, or my idea is, when you release that pressure, you want it to release. Like, you don't want to... It's just like having a rock in your boot all day long, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, especially these barrel racing bits that have edges, like square twists and twisted wires. If it's sucked up into your mouth and you have two wrinkles or you're making them smile, they're never getting away from that pressure. So it's hard to get one really soft if there's never a complete release of pressure. Now, like a hinge port or a ported bit that has big, fat bars, yeah, you can hold, you can pull that up a little tighter if you wanted to because those, there's not a corner there to irritate the, the corner of the mouth. You know, there's not an edge there. So, um, that's my, that's just my theory on it. Like, I, I, I'm a big believer in release of pressure. That's how a horse learns. So, if there's constant pressure, you know, I think it can create some anxiety and, and it, uh, won't make it, it won't be as soft as a mouth in the mouth if it's if it sucked up tight. That makes sense. And, you know, a good thing just to check your bits when you put them in. See see where you're riding them. And, you know, maybe it's something as simple as lowering a little bit or, you know, if you need right. to bring it up. And, you know, that could potentially change how, how it works as well. Right. And and I don't know. If, if I want a bit to react quicker, I wouldn't. I wouldn't tighten it up in the mouth, up higher in the mouth, I would tighten my chin strap up. That will cause the bit to to engage faster. Perfect. You led me right into my next question of (laughs) what do you think about curbs and different different materials for your curb chains and like what do you, you know, see work best with some of your bits? Well, for me personally, I like a leather chin strap and my my reasoning is 
I don't like those little chain chin straps and, and because I don't want my horse reacting to the chin strap. I want him reacting to the mouthpiece. So if the chin strap bites or has more feel than the mouthpiece, to me, that's a confusing signal for the horse. Mm-hmm. You know, I want the horse to give to pressure, so I want him to give to the mouthpiece, not the chin strap. You know, I don't, I don't like those little chains and those, like a little steel chin strap. I like a leather or a, like those big twisted chains are, they're okay. They cover a lot of surface area, but that's just my theory. It just seems elementary and common sense to me that you know, you get a smoother pull, or the horse will give in a more smooth manner with a leather chin strap. And, you know, it's a case-by-case basis. If I want to speed my bit up a little bit, I'll tighten that chin strap up. Or if I want to slow it down a little bit, have a little more signal to it, I'll loosen it up. That's that's my theory. It's worked well for me in the past, so that's kind of what I stick with. Yeah, it makes sense, you know. And I see a lot of these bits nowadays being sold, and they they ones that come with chin straps. You know, they come with the all chain that clips on it. Um, and sometimes, you know, I know some bits might work better with it, but otherwise, it's like you know, I'm asking them to be soft to the face, but if that ch- that chain bites them, it's going to force their head to go up anyways which then right. defeats the purpose of me trying to have a soft face down in my hand. Exactly. You're creating a vice. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, pull the, when you pull that little chain, you know, it engages the, the mouthpiece. You have a little twisted wire mouthpiece and a chain chin strap, and it just creates a, a vice, you know. And, and I just like them to be soft. I just want to have a soft, full, soft feel. And I, I feel like I can get that a little easier with the with a leather chin strap. Okay. And another one of your famous bits that, you know, we we see on the cover of magazines all the time is your combo. Yeah. Walk us through a little bit about your combo and just kind of how it's designed to be used because I know, you know, it's it's kind of where it's anchored on. Um, is there a lot of independent action as far as like the bit and then the nose or why do you put the nose band where you do? If that question makes any sense. Absolutely. So like, uh, typically a lot of combos, a horse will feel stiff in a combo, you know, so I did, I don't want to, I wanted to kind of try to alleviate that problem as much as possible. So I feel like, you know, my combo, the mouthpiece sits to the front, just like a Betty. And I feel like that creates a little signal so it's not as sudden so the horse doesn't get trapped behind it. And also, I feel like I I like those nosebands to sit a little low. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that gives you more leverage. Like, the lower you go on the nose, to a point, it's easier to grant, to get the nose, to shape the nose, if that if that nose piece sits a little lower. Um, you know, like those ones that we've all seen those combos that sit underneath the horse's eyes. I mean, I don't feel like you can get any shape with that. Or it, it, it'd be difficult, like, for me, personally. And so that's why I kind of designed it that way, where that mouthpiece a little forward, has a little signal, it doesn't hit them real sudden. And then the nose band sits a little lower to help get a little leverage, left and right leverage, lateral leverage. 
Okay, makes sense. And, I, and I've always just wondered that because I, you know, I can tell when you look at different bits that yours do sit a little bit lower. Um, I mean, I, I have one of them in my trailer and, and I like riding in it, but again, I probably couldn't tell you why I like it before talking to you. <laughs> right, right. So that's, that's my theory behind it. Just try and keep that. And, and same with my Betty Hackamore. Like I hadn't made a Hackamore until the last year or so because I, I didn't, I personally don't like the feel of the Hackamore or the Hackamores I've used in the past. And so that's why I hadn't made one because I hadn't come up with a good design that had some lateral bend to it. So I don't know if you've noticed or not, but that nose band, it almost gag. It has a little gag to it. It has a lot of movement to it. It's not hooked directly onto the cheek piece. Yeah. It's mounted to the front with a ball hinge. And so you have a lot of lateral feel with it, um, which feels pretty good. Yeah, it's not it's not as stiff. I mean, like you said, some combos horses can get stiff pretty quick in. Um, and, and this one definitely has a little bit more flexibility to it. Right, right. That was my idea behind it was just to have some, have some movement to it where they didn't get trapped and quite as stiff. And you put your combo on on all your shanks. I mean, I've seen them on Snaffles, on Betty's, on Dukes. Um, so I guess if somebody is thinking about, you know, adding a nose band in their situation, like when would you recommend, you know, putting one of those on? Well, it, it's a case-by-case basis. You think if that horse is sensitive to nose pressure, responds well to nose pressure, I'd give it a try. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some horses that just don't respond well to something over their nose. Yeah. You know, they just can't handle it. They don't like it, which uh, that's a whole different subject. But anyhow, yeah, or like I think like a kid, you know, like a little girl that maybe needs some more control. You know, the more the better. Um, I don't really care for a combo that much, but my daughter Rio, she's she won a hundred thousand on that her sorrow horse, the Wonderbug, riding the combo. So you know, just whatever whatever fits your hands and fits your horse. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I mean that that makes sense. And then you don't have to you know try to go up on mouthpieces or pull on them more, um, because you know maybe just a little extra. Extra pressure somewhere else is all you need to still have a soft, supple horse in the end. Exactly. And like I say, some horses just really respond to nose pressure well. And I'll say, like, if a horse is a little bit noodly and they've tried a ball in and didn't like, you know, didn't get along, I'd try a combo to try and square them up a little bit, keep them a little straighter. You know, um, seems like that helps. That works on a lot of horses, too. Okay. What do you think is your, like, best-selling bit or one that, you know, a lot of people come to? Or do you, you know, because you're so custom to whatever anybody wants, do you just sell a little bit of everything? I would say um, I sell more snaffles and more combos than anything. Anything? Probably because people see horses like Vita and J-Lo winning in them at, you know, 10 or 12 or however old they are, and they're like, that's a winning bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm not so naive as to think that, I mean, I think I make good bits, but uh, good horses and good trainers make good bit makers too. 
it's, it's, it's a good team. Everybody works together. Yeah, I think I always say it's a, um, a bid is a small piece of a very large, frustrating, expensive puzzle. That's the perfect way to put it. Yeah, way to put it. Well, you know, looking through your page, you obviously also make a lot more than just bits. I mean, spurs, belt buckles, you know, a little bit of everything. What's your favorite thing to make? Or is there something that you haven't made yet that you're like, you know, I want to do that? Because I can only imagine that this type of stuff takes a lot more time than your basic bit. Yeah, my favorite thing in the world to make is like the California style bridal bits. You know, like spade bits, half breeds, ring bits. Um, you know, because they they really lend themselves to art. Um, it's a big canvas. You can do a lot of a lot of pretty silver work. It's a lot of pretty engraving. And like I say, they they lend themselves to artistic. You know, to art. So that's. And they're a challenge. Like they're really, they're they're a challenge for me to do, and I, I just, I love doing them. If I ever win the lottery, I'm just going to make California bridal bits all day. They're, I mean, they are so cool. How much time does it take to make one of those? Because, I mean, just the amount of tooling, like it, they are so like, just inquisite in everything they have. So it's not hard to get sixty to a hundred hours in one bit. Um, That's wild. I made a spade bit for a contest a few years ago, and I think I had 85 hours in it. I made a I made a pair of spurs for Bo last year for her, for Jeff to give to her for her anniversary. And I think I had close to 100 hours in that pair of spurs. But they had like fine silver inlays and relief gun engraving, and you know uh, the rounds were. The spokes on the rounds I filed into a hexagon instead of just flat, you know, like each spoke was a hexagon. Oh, wow. So it, yeah, it takes a long time to do that kind of work, but I love it. I, it's, it's a challenge, and uh, it's, it's pretty neat. Yeah, that has to be, I mean, obviously making bits is your passion, but it has to be a little bit more fun to be able to put some designs and flares. And... Yeah, yeah, it, like I say, that... That style of bit or that style of spurs, it really lends itself to art. And uh, it's a big canvas, and you can do a lot with it. Well, not so much you can do with a barrel racing bit to make it sexy or cool or pretty, you know? Yeah. Now all those guys listening know that you make bits or uh, spurs and buckles and rings, and they can start hitting you up for Christmas or next <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't keep you too much longer. I know you just moved and got settled in a new shop, and I'm sure you have a ton to make. But um, I wanted to end off with, you know, what are some common, like, bit misconceptions that you might see? Or, you know, myths that you have to tell people, like, no, that's not true. Look at this. Is there anything like that that you run into a lot? Yeah, a lot. Uh, Several. So the first thing is people, and I just did a video on this on my Instagram, um, people think that once you use a quote-unquote severe bit, that you just have to keep using more severe and more severe. 
And that is a, that's a huge misconception. Like, I think it, it goes back to elementary horsemanship. You know, you have to have good hands and keep that horse light and soft. Like, I don't think there's ever a time where you don't have to maintain suppleness in a horse. Like, I don't care if that horse is 20 years old. You have to maintain suppleness. And so, I think you need to use use a bit that gains that respect, gains that suppleness, and then you can back off, you know. And then mm-hmm. if you need it again, you can go. Like I don't, I just don't agree with that. That uh, once you use a severe bit, you have to keep using more severe. If you if you use good horsemanship. Now, if somebody uses a severe bit and they're not releasing the pressure when they're supposed to, when the horse is given the right response hanging on their mouth, yeah, it's probably going to make the horse's mouth numb and uh, and unsensitive, and, and, you know, that's a whole different whole different game right there, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense, and, you know, that's why I think barrel racers, they always buy bits to, you know, cure the magic problem, because we all have a problem with bit buying, um, but that's not necessarily even the thing. Like, you know, yeah, if you have the right bit for the horse, but you don't, you don't always just have to go to a new one and then stay there. You can, you know, kind of complement each other and then go back to what you were doing. Yeah. I think I get a lot of people that, that ask for a specific bit or they, or they think they have a bidding problem when in actuality they have a training problem. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying a, a certain bit won't help the training process. Because, you know, that's absolutely true. But, I mean, I've had had somebody call me one time and and her horse was ducked in the second barrel. She wanted to know what bit I had would fix the problem. And, you know, I told her if I had a bit that would fix the ducker, I'd be living on a beach somewhere. (laughs) But, you know, it's not, you got to be able to recognize when you're having a training issue and when you're having an actual bidding issue. Yeah. So, and then another misconception, I have people ask me, uh, hey, I want a sweet iron mouthpiece, which there's no such thing as sweet iron. Like, I can't go down to the steel, steel mart, steel store, and order a piece of sweet iron. All sweet iron is, is just mild, cold rolled steel, carbon steel. It's, it's what we use every day you know, for, for the cheeks and, and whatever. So that's a misconception, too, that there's, you can go buy sweet iron, quote, unquote. You know, I think I've I've heard that before. I've actually might have that was going to ask you when we were talking about the materials you use. Um, because, yeah, I've heard, you know, different metals make their mouth salivate or something along those lines. I can't even really remember what it was. Um, so I guess that's good to know. Yeah, like copper will increase a horse's salivation and, uh, mild steel will. Stainless steel doesn't really make one's mouth salivate that great. But, you know, we look at, people kind of over, overthink that salivation deal. You know, we don't ride our barrel horses eight or ten hours a day like you would a ranch horse. Or I hope you're not having to ride your barrel horse eight or ten hours a day. Um, so, I don't know, like, if you ride your barrel horse for 30 minutes or an hour, I don't know that, that making their mouth salivate is, is that big of an issue. 
that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense, and it's a really good point. I mean, because we, we really not. I mean, 20, 30, maybe 45 minutes a day on most of them at a max. Right, right. I mean, if you got to ride your barrel horse 8 or 10 hours, you're, probably, you're not worried about how their mouth is salivating, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> probably a good point as well. Right, right. So if somebody wants to order bits from you, I know you said that Rio was building a website, but is it just easiest to find you on Facebook and order that way? Or where can people go to buy your goodies? So that's a great, uh, great point. I have a business page on Facebook and a friend of mine, Micah Drews, she runs that business page for me. As everybody knows, I'm very slow. Um, I'm very unorganized, so I have Micah take care of those orders, and then she sends them to me, and then I I make what what's ordered. So that's a great place to go is, is my Facebook Messenger business page. Okay. Or I'll... just come to Heiko and stop in the shop and have a cup of coffee and order a bit. There you go. We'll just sit there, talk about bits, and you can just make them right then and there. Well, I will promise that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll make sure to share the business page so people know the right place to go to order it. That way you're not just bombarded in your messages with all, all these bit orders. Um, you can be expecting one or two from me probably today. But uh, I, I really am thankful for you taking the time to talk to us a little bit, go through the bits. Um, you know, I think it's so interesting and definitely something that I needed to learn more about. And I'm sure, you know, Everybody knows how their bit functions a little bit better than, like you said, we can help pick the better one for what the horse needs and hopefully have a little bit more success that way, too. Absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to me ramble. Awesome. Thanks so much, Troy, and have a great day. You too. Thank you. Bye. Well, I think we all learned a thing or two in that episode. Thank you, Troy, for spending some time and teaching us the things that you know. Remember to go check out K&L Barrel Horses and see if one of their sires fits your program today. All right, everyone, run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon.